James chapter 1. Appreciate the men working this week and getting the new doors in. Hopefully you notice them in the business of the day. New doors on this building going into the next and new doors going into the junior church. And uh, the other ones are damaged from chair carts over the years. And uh, so I appreciate, appreciate them getting those done and uh, getting those installed very much with that. Appreciate the donation of the doors as well. Book of James and uh, first chapter. We're going to be going through the first 12 verses tonight. And uh, I want to talk to you this evening on the subject of trials and faith in context. Trials and faith in context. Well, context means fitting where it belongs. When you study a doctrine or verses, you take it in context, you take it in its proper, proper setting. To whom is it written? What's the time period? Who does it pertain to? The Bible calls that rightly dividing the word of truth and uh, deals with that and it takes things in context very important and uh, the book of James I, I wanted to give you this and tonight a little bit more of a bible study uh, a type of a thing this evening but I want to talk to you about a very uh, very needful thing in our lives and that's understanding in the context of God's word the place of trials in, in, in our life what happens because you certainly face them as you go through life different types of trials and uh, to know what's coming, know, know what to do, and know how we're supposed to behave as Christians is vitally important during that time. A lot depends on it. Um, you think about it, let's just, let's just take an example of things. I remember over at Liberty, uh, when the church went down, and at one point it went down to only two people. <clears throat> they are getting ready to turn the uh, uh, property back into the bank, which was a ridiculous situation, and, and some things like that. And of course, the Lord allowed us to step in, and, and uh, Brother Hill helped out with things and took care of six months of the mortgage. And our men went over and and, uh, and preached over there regularly, and, and uh, the Lord's built that back up. And, and uh, uh, my sister sent me pictures today of the decorations for Mother's Day and a good day and that sort of thing. And uh, thank God for it. But you say, well, what's, what's the deal with that? Well, you say, yeah, that's, that's uh, you know, a church has, has went down and all this. Well, at the time when I came over here, um, we, were, we were averaging 28 in our team group, which is larger than we were averaging in, in, in the attendance when I came in here. They were supporting, their yearly support to missions was over $25,000 a year. And when that went down, when the church went down to nothing, all of that disappeared. All of it. And so, it's not just a matter of a group not being able to meet together anymore. It's a matter of God's work going forward. All of the missionaries that were on the field, all of them all of them lost the support that they had from that church. You multiply that over what happens over different churches, and you'll find soon that it can make a difference of people having to come off the field and that sort of thing. And so it's a vital business that we do. And, uh, and how, we, how we stay at it in the long term is learning biblically how we're supposed to, how the context of things in our life, including trials that come. And you're going to face them, and so I want to help you with it tonight. Let's look at the Bible here and get started in James chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, and then he says, greetings. Now, 
important to understand, he's talking, they, uh, the Jews in what they called the diaspora, or they were dispersed among many nations at that time. And he is sending this out to them. And I want you to understand there's something to be learned from that because it's the context of dealing with this thing of trials. These are what uh, is referred to in some circles, and it's a good term, by the way, these are completed Jews. Anybody ever heard that, that term, completed Jews? It's are Jewish people who have accepted Christ as their Messiah. So they're completed Jews. They, they understand Jesus as their Savior. It's a good term that's used. And these are completed Jews. He's sending out to people who are people of Jewish extraction who are scattered all over the world. These are people who have a longing to be back in their homeland, but they've been scattered. They, they have a heart in them to be in, in the land, which we call Israel, but yet they did not have that opportunity. And not only that, but these are also people who have accepted Christ as the Messiah. So they would suffer not only the pressures of their particular time period in which they live, but also the ostr- being ostracized by their own people because many of the Orthodox Jewish people would persecute them or at least cast them off or shun them because they believed on Jesus as the Messiah. So these are people who have struggles in their lives in some very significant ways. They're uprooted from the land that God gave them. They're scattered, so sometimes they're in small groups, but it may be a small, a small uh, uh, kind of enclave of Jewish people among a, a population that's totally different than them. So they're very limited. And these people are going through some troubles and some, uh, some struggles that make it very important that God would have sent them Scripture so they would know how to stand strong for the Lord when they are often isolated, separated, and uh, having to stand uh, on their own feet for the Lord. And so that's how it leads in. The twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Then he says, verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Two things in there. This, this idea uh, of joy is a calm blessedness. Uh, We think of joy as an exuberance with it, but that's not the idea of this. This is the idea of a calm blessedness. Now, look at the way it's phrased there, all right? And and stay with me tonight. Don't make me do a bunch of things. Keep your attention on that. I want you to get the truth here. He said, count it all joy. He said, you make a decision that this is going to be something counted towards joy. You got to make that decision. You're going to look at it as an opportunity that God's given you to prove God. And he said, count it all joy, what? When you fall into diverse temptations. I put the statement down with that, this diverse temptations, not just different ones. You think of that diverse, you think of something being diverse, and we think of diversity, which of course has become a code word for some stuff, but it's but an idea of that is that there's a lot of different types of things. And he said diverse temptations. He's not just talking about a multiplication of temptations. It's not just a bunch of them, but it's also temptations of a lot of different types. It's, it, 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 it's, it's a lot of different assaults that we put up with. They differ in their type and their intensity. Not everything's a straight-on frontal assault. Not everything is something that seems like it knocks the wind out of you. Sometimes, can I tell you, it, it, it's really... It's really it's the type of thing you use in warfare. They call it a war of attrition. There are times you just wear the enemy down. Um, isolate. 
break the the the, the break the uh, uh, the uh, logistics chain so they can't be supplied. Deal with these things. And, and I want you to understand that one of the techniques that the devil uses is to wear out people. Just keeps wearing them down. <laughs> when, of course, the Bible uses the term wrestling when it deals, it deals uh, for illustration about what happens in the spiritual warfare. And can I say to you, I've been in wrestling matches where it's very intense. Both of you are moving fast, move, counter move, that sort of thing. And there are other ones where you know the person you're coming up against. You've tried different things real quick and you can't snap certain moves on them. And you just try to bear down to wear them out because it's hard to believe in a six-minute uh, six contest how exhausted you can become even if you're in top physical shape. But the, uh, but the thing of it is, you just wear them down. You get them in a holding position and do it as long as you can do without being called for holding and do that. Why? Making them a constant strain against you. That's why it's exhaustive sometimes. It's that constant uh, constant strain. How many of you here have ever arm wrestled somebody? Have you ever arm wrestled somebody? All right. Uh, who, who'd you arm wrestle? Andrew, Rachel, she beat you? Eden, okay, well, there you go. Put the hurt right on it. All right, so you arm wrestle somebody, and you know if you're really into it and it's somebody of, of similar strength, that what happens is that thing, that gets pretty intense pre- pretty fast. And, and, you know, about the best you can do is kick them under the table or something like that and try to win. But this idea, sometimes the temptations are not in and of themselves, don't seem that intense, but it's cumulative. It's the one thing, then another thing, then another thing, then another thing, and they all hit together. That's the idea of diverse temptations. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Why? When you go into this, there are different types and different attacks. Some are temptations of the flesh. Some are out and out temptations for evil or temptations for wrong. Uh, fleshly sins or sins of the Spirit. The Bible talks about both. Some are temptations of uh, such sins of the Spirit as pride, arrogancy, a haughty attitude, a lack of love, these things that the Bible talks about. Some are for fleshly indulgences, which would take us away from following God. All these things, but listen to this. No matter what the temptations are, in this context of temptations, there's one goal. You have to understand that. And the goal for the temptations is very simply this, is to keep you from finishing your course with joy. It's to keep you from finishing your course. In other words, look, if you're saved, you can't go to hell. That's simple. Your living preacher believes that everlasting life is everlasting. And it doesn't matter. You can give me all the little illustrations you want. Well, this person I knew them, and if anybody was saved, they were, and they went and did this. First of all, you don't know whether they were saved or not at all. You can see, you can see outward evidence of some things, but you don't know. Second of all, it doesn't matter what they did. The Bible says that it's everlasting life. There's a whole lot of people who claim the name of Christ, but they're no more saved than anything. And so when you get into this and you start understanding some of this stuff, you understand that, that when the pressures come, what they're trying to do, what the devil's trying to do, he cannot take you to hell. He cannot, he cannot consume you as he wanted to do. So what he would like to do is make you invalid to put you as a shipwreck, to put you on the shelf, if you would, and as a, as a castaway where you're not no longer effective for Christ, or worse, that you become a stumbling block for other believers. There's only one end game that he has in mind, and that is to take us out of action for the Lord. 
So you have to understand these temptations come. The issue is what is it going to what is it going to take to divert you, knock you out of the path, or what is it going to take to stop you short of what God has for you to do? I want to be like the apostle was able to say, I want to fight a good fight. I want to finish my course. I want to do these things. I want to keep the faith. And we can do that through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And so here we are, and we deal with this. So let's look again with it, all right? We see the tribes, they're scattered. These are the Jewish people. They're isolated in many cases, or, or a small group of them together. They are going through struggles with that. And the Lord sends them this epistle, and it says, count it all joy. Hey, you need to take accounting of it. Not, why did this happen to me? But Lord, there's a calmness saying, you've trusted me with this. I will let that sink in. Lord, you've trusted me with this. As a pastor, I am usually either surrounded by or interacting with a large number of people. So there are always calls I need to return. People I'm conversing with. People I'm dealing with. This church, other churches, other preachers, and so on and so forth. But Brett, I wonder sometimes, I think about this. I have all that interaction. And I'm glad for it most of the time. To be honest. But I wonder how I would stand if I was like John on the Isle of Patmos and there weren't any other believers. If there wasn't a structure, if there wasn't a network. Maybe I have enough God in me to want God if nobody's around me encouraging me. There's the question. And so, this thing as you look at it, you understand that when we're dealing with these temptations, we need to count it all joy and say, God has trusted me with this. We like it. Didn't say it's uh, something that's pleasant, but we count it all joy. Why? Because my heavenly Father has said that I could do this, I could carry this. Um, it's an amazing thing, and I don't know, do you remember carrying the globe for me back from Haiti? Wooden globe that's up on top of my bookshelf came from Haiti, and I I commissioned Luke with that job of keeping that thing safe all the way back from Haiti, and he just hung on to it, man. It got here safely. That was that was it. He wanted to keep that thing uh, in his uh, in his in, in, make sure it was all right. Maybe you've had somebody trust you with something where you thought it was a precious thing. You tried to make sure it was done right. How much more when our heavenly Father hands us something and says, "I want you to handle this," that you can be an example to others and that you can show them. Uh, that faith is a real thing. So let's go on down. Look, my brethren, when, uh, count all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this. Now, how can you count a joy? You have to know something with it. You've got to have knowledge. Knowing this, that the trying of your what? That's interesting. Your faith will be put on trial. It will be tested. Your very foundational beliefs the structure of what you hold there will be put on trial. And not just once. Not just as a beginning Christian. Not just as a young Christian. But step by step in your Christian life. Preacher from out in Lemon Grove, California, I heard him preach on this message. Different levels, 
different devils. And that's really what you run into with it. Um, you, you are going, your faith is going to be tried. As, as a believer, if you're a, a true believer tonight, there's been a point where you said, I believe Jesus Christ is who He said He is. This Bible is my book. That's going to be put to the test. Through critics, through philosophers, even though they're not thusly named, that's how they come about, through the insidious voice of those who, well, I believe the Bible, but you know some things. That's, that's a familiar voice. We hear it echo from Genesis chapter 3. Came from the garden. Yea, hath God said... The Bible's good and all that, but has it really? Those voices, direct assaults, events that happen that don't make any sense to you, that you can't reconcile with what you believe that you know. And can I just say a word of a little? Can I speak as? Can I speak as a? I actually am in the classification of an aged pastor. It sounds funny to me because I don't think of myself as an old person because I found out nothing will make you old faster than thinking you're old. So I'm not going to think I'm old. I barely want to think I'm even mature. So that's it. And, and I have my moments of that. But I am technically what the Bible calls an aged, an aged man in the church. And certainly I've got experience as a pastor and in the ministry. Can I say something to you from that perspective in a moment? It's really important to understand how little we ever see of the whole picture. And of course, on Wednesday night, I've started teaching about decision-making. Being people of purpose. And the need for decision was last Wednesday night. And I'm continuing that series on, God willing, this week. Dealing with decision making. What the Bible teaches us both by command and by example on how to make good, solid decisions. It's a very good Bible study with that. But can I say to you, as we do that, one of the key things which I told you we're going to be covering is knowing how to make right decisions. One of the essential things for making good decisions is knowing whether or not you have enough information to make a decision. Can I tell you, we just barely do. <laughs> we, don't, we don't get a whole picture. So when I understood that a lot of years ago, as I was studying the Bible and different things came out, and I'm like, how does this thing I think I see match this over here I had to come down to a point, I'm either going to believe that the Bible is the revealed truth of God, or I'm going to have to dismiss it that it is not. And if this is God's revelation, as I believe it is, then I have to understand that I'm going to see some things that I'm not going to understand, and I'm going to have to decide, am I going to trust the scene of my eyes or am I going to trust what God has revealed? He said, well, I only, I only believe what I can see. That's a very foolish and limited perspective. And I've chosen, I, I, I'm not going to do that. That's, that makes no sense. God's Word's track record is way beyond mine. I'll trust it. And so... Other nice thing in life, I don't have to figure things out in life. I just have to follow God. I just told you something worth coming for. I don't have to figure things out in life. I just have to follow God. I said I told you something worth hearing. I'm fixing to get happy about this one. I, I don't have to figure things out. I just have to follow God. 
And uh, that's what this is talking about here. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith, your faith, your faith, the trying of your faith, look what it does, it worketh patience. <laughs> a couple of you testifying about ladies who've been a blessing in your life as we're getting those testimonies earlier. We're thankful for people who had patience. A couple of you husbands, thankful for a wife that has patience. And uh, she's thankful that she can receive a crown. I'm sure there's a crown for this. In fact, there is. It's the crown of life. Blessed is the man that endured temptation. <laughs> he receives the crown of life. We'll read about that in a minute. Uh, but, <laughs> but let me say to you, these things, the trying of our faith worketh patience. It brings it out. It builds, it, 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 it shows it and, and, and develops it in us. But it says, now with patience isn't the end of the thing. But let patience have what kind of work? Perfect work. In other words, bringing to full age, full maturity, full usefulness. It's a perfecting work. It brings us to perfection in the context of this word here. But let patience have her perfect work that you may be, it tells you two things, that you may be what? Perfect and what? Look at the, look at the Bible. Perfect and what? Entire. Wanting nothing. In other words, you're not lacking anything. This is not the idea you don't have an appetite for anything in this world. But this is the idea that you're not wanting. There's no want, no lack to what, to, to what you have. That you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. It's interesting. The word perfect is the idea of bringing to full maturity. It's the idea of bringing to a full age, if you will, of whatever that thing is. Entire means that there's nothing left off. It's the idea of soundness. It's whole. So what patience does when you go through the trial, the temptation, when you face it and it tries your faith and you go back and say, okay, here's what the Bible says. I don't know why I'm facing what I'm facing, but I see what is written and I don't have to figure out what I'm facing. I just have to follow God. And God has told me what to do. And so I'll follow God. And when we do that, what ends up happening, there is a perfecting that happens and we are made perfect. We, God will develop in us things which were not in us before. And there's a soundness. He will bring it into a completion that we will have everything that we need. I say to you, there are verses in the Bible you couldn't even obey if you didn't face temptation. How could you resist Satan if you never faced him? Then, let's go on with this. But let patience have her perfect work. Now notice, look, look if you will, look at, look at how important this is. I, I, I'm really wanting to plead, kind of woo you along, prod you, kick, drag, whatever I have to do. Out of passive Christianity. Passive Christianity that sits back saying, I hope God does something in my life. Because that is not the way the Bible's set up. Oh, to be sure, God can and does do things you cannot do for yourself. But we way too often try to throw things in God's responsibility that were given to us to do. Here, let me show you what I mean in this, in this verse and in this context. Notice in verse 2, it's not passive. My brethren, count it all joy. You make a decision 
about how you're going to approach this. Well, preacher, I can't. Yes, you can. Count it all joy. So I'm not happy about this. I'd be happy about counting it all joy. Calm assurance. We sang the song today, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. How many of you will readily admit here in the house of God there's been many a time in your Christian life you've not felt that blessed assurance? Okay? It does not change the fact that it is. And so, it's a decision to do this. Then, look what else happens. Verse 3, knowing this, you choose to know something. You choose to learn it. We are supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That means that we have to learn to think of things differently than what we think of it naturally in the fleshly mind. Then it goes through this in verse 4. Look at this. But let patience have a perfect work. I take that let there to mean that I make a choice to give it the time it needs. Not bailing out or not. Dr. Adams put a rich treasure in our soul, those of us who were in college. Uh, during the years, he was very active as the president of the college. And you've heard several men from this pulpit make this statement. I remember Dr. Evans always said this to us, and this was something he would just bring out on a regular basis. Christianity is measured not in years, but in decades. That truth, once you caught what he was saying, so vitally important. And if we're going to let patience have its perfect work, we're going to have to quit short-circuiting and jumping ahead of what the Spirit of God is trying to do in our life. Why is it we think that thought patterns, habits, and appetites that have taken for some of us decades to develop in our life are going to be rooted out in a matter of a few moments? I'd love it if you could just come to the altar and leave it all there, but some of those rascals jump up and jump on you as you're heading back. Isn't it the truth? You ever get the like uh, the, the the real thin, clear uh, plastic like wrapper stuff. It's got static electricity on. And you're trying to get it off. <laughs> you get it on both hands. It ends up on your nose everywhere. You know. You ever got one of those? You're trying to shake the thing, and then it sticks to another different part of you. That's what some of these things are like. You just like to leave it on the altar, but it keeps sticking to you. <laughs> Let patience have her perfect work. The building of strength isn't the, isn't a matter of a moment. The building of endurance for anything, whether it be spiritual or physical, is not the matter of a day's work. It takes time. It takes time. And so let, let patience have a perfect work. Why? Here's God's intention for you. Draw, draw comfort from this. You want to know your Heavenly Father's heart for you. <laughs> why, why does God let me go through it? Because the, the, it's a broken world. We are followers of Jesus Christ and He was butchered. So why do you think we, we deserve something better than that? Servant's not above his master. This world is not a friend of grace and never has been. Look at it. Here's the heart of our Heavenly Father. Let patience have a perfect work. I know you may not like what's doing, but here's what my heart is for you. That you would be perfect and entire wanting nothing. God said, I have a great desire 
to develop in you a you that you will scarcely recognize because of its usefulness. In other words, God's not just interested in making your circumstances better, although at times in His kindness He does that, but He's interested in making you more substantial and stronger than what you've ever been. And so we go on down and look at the rest of this in, in the context. Remember, trials and faith in context, there's something else that enters in at this point. Verse 4 again, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect in entire wanting nothing. And then, look at the context of this well-known verse. If any of you lack wisdom. Wait a minute. That's not a parenthetical statement. That matches, that follows right in line with what's being taught. If we're going to let patience have a perfect work, if we're going to benefit from the trouble that comes into our life, we're going to have to have some wisdom do it, to do it. We're going to have to have wisdom how to respond. We're going to have to have wisdom on what to do with it. We're going to have to have wisdom how to go forward from it. You ever lack wisdom? I'm talking about in specific areas. We feel it generally. Is that right? Not adequate for a certain thing? I said about a year ago, I was just some different things, and I made a statement. It's kind of funny because some people I talk to kind of laugh, but I wasn't joking at all. I said, I know one thing for sure after all these years back, and I'm not smart enough for this job. Because it's not something you're going to do on the smarts. It's beyond that. You're talking about people's lives, you're talking about eternal truth, you're talking about this sort of thing. Any man who attempts that sort of thing in the power of his own flesh is arrogant and also is very disrespectful of the value of the lives with which he's dealing. To think that you as a congregation, congregation whatever you are, um, that you don't need anything more than just whatever wisdom I've accumulated, you need God. Now, I'm not to take God's place in your life, couldn't if I wanted to, and shouldn't even border in on it, but I'm, I do have a part in trying to teach you about it. Do you ever get that where you lack wisdom? I'm talking about specific wisdom. Got five kids now, is that right? All right, we're fine to settle on that total number right there. <coughs> Ain't no, no two of them are exactly the same. They, some of them aren't the same from hour to hour. <laughs> <laughs> And they will get older. Um, what about specific wisdom? Lord, I need wisdom to love my children right. I need wisdom to guide them right. What about, uh, what about I, need, I need wisdom to help Brooklyn do what the young lady showed me. I need wisdom to help Connor be the young man that God's designed him to be. You see, you see what I'm talking about? Very specific wisdom. Are you aware of a lack in that at times? It does as well to be aware of what we're lacking. So in the context of this, writing to the, the Jews of the dysphoria that are scattered around, that are often feeling isolated, that are having these different uh, trials coming on them, he says, I want you to understand something, that, that the trying of your faith work of patience, but let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. And then, no parenthetical statement, here, in that situation, if any of you lack wisdom, look at the open door God gives here. Let him ask of God, which giveth to who? 
All men, how? This is one time it's good to be liberal. The idea liberally is, is you're not parsimonious. You're not, you're not stingy with it. Think of it liberally. Look, I'm not being silly with you. I don't want a little wisdom. I want a lot of wisdom. I don't want man's wisdom. I want God's wisdom. And I can have it. You've heard me say dozens of times in the seven almost years you've been working here, let's get God's wisdom on this. Or I say, we'll table this, we'll deal with it later. We'll seek the Lord on it. God will give us wisdom. We'll figure out what to do. Why? Because I believe if any man lack wisdom, you can ask of God. And he'll give it to you. And it would be wonderful enough if it just said he would give it to everyone liberally, but it doesn't stop there. Look what else it says he doesn't do. Give it to every man liberally and, look at that word, upbraideth not. The idea of upbraideth is chiding. It's the idea of this. Suppose Wesley came and asked me how to do something. Okay? I don't know what it may be, but he asked me how to do something. And I were to look at him and say, why don't you know how to do that? What's the matter with you? How old are you? Yeah. See, but that's smart like in your face, isn't it? Maybe if we don't want to raise kids that are disrespectful, maybe a good place to start would be being respectful to them. Sure. Just might work, you know? Okay, that can be important. And so... If I say to him, why don't you know that? Why are you coming to me for You mean you don't know that by now? Tell me what good have I done there. And it's my own, it would be my own um, insecurity and pride that causes that. And God doesn't do that. Just we come to God for wisdom and he doesn't say, why don't you know that already? How long have you done Bible? He upbraided not. He comes and asks whatever it is and I say, okay, hey, what do you want to know? So he may have told him two or three times before. John and Charles Wesley, amazing men. Of course, we have uh, several songs in our songbook written by Charles Wesley, John Wesley, the preacher, phenomenal man, uh, phenomenal abilities, conversing in about 10 languages. They figured near as they tell, the man rode nearly a quarter of a mile on horseback. I don't know how you figure that, you got to doctors on a horse, but anyway. Um, they, uh, <laughs> But they uh, came from a very, very large family. I'm thinking the number 19 is my mind. right along there. And when it was either John or Charles, when Susanna Wesley, their mother, was teaching when they were younger, it was said to her, Susanna, we marvel at your patience. I think it was young John Wesley. Said, you have taught that child the same lesson 12 times. And her statement because he wasn't being obstinate. He wasn't not paying attention. He just didn't get it. Said, you've done that 12 times. And she said, yes. And if I had quit at the 11th, I would have lost everything I had tried to do. That ought to be two things for us. That I encourage us not to give up on people. And that I ought to make us thank God we're not trying to teach John Wesley. Amen. <laughs> I think that's fair. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. God does not chide you. And I'm going to be very, very straightforward with you. Some of you will have to make a conscious decision to come to your Heavenly Father for things like wisdom because as a human interaction between you and whatever authority, that's what you've always got every time you come to it. It's an in-your-face thing instead of helping you. And even in some, 
instances, which I, I believe this is abuse. What are you, stupid or something? That's abusive language. Child were to come into church with the eye blackened by the fist of a father, we'd say that child's being abused. But you can't see the damage and the bruises to the soul caused by harshness and hateful words. God doesn't chide us that way. He remembereth our frame that we are but dust appear for a short time and vanishes away. Let's look on into the scripture. It says that give to all men liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given him. And then it tells you, but there is a stipulation for you coming. But let him ask in faith. Nothing, watch the word. Wavering. Wavering. And then, so we would understand that word if we had any question. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. I believed I was seeing some of that driving in tonight. We were coming down 22 and there were just sheets of, there were sheets of rain going across. I think there were a few comforters and quilts. There was a lot of rain. And they just coming by. A couple of trucks went by. And when they went by, they kicked up big rooster tail spray and that thing went off there. But this is the idea of wavering. It says, it says, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea Driven with the wind. And I put out as a side note there just because it caught my attention when I read that and my mind cross-references something and not be children blown about by every wind of doctrine. And the slight of men and cunning craftiness where they lie in wait to deceive. They specifically are intentionally trained to deceive us. I don't believe that it's accidental those words are used in those two verses. It says, driven with the wind and tossed, for let not that man, the one that wavered, the one that doesn't ask in faith, let not that man think that he shall receive, what's it say? Anything of the Lord. Right? Why? Look at the next verse. For the what-minded? Double-minded man is unstable and how many of his ways? In all his ways. Wow. So that double-minded leads to an instability that affects every part of life. There's illustration I have there, but I'll forbear. It, it'll take our minds a little different direction. I don't want to do that. Look at what it says about this here. And I put down a statement beside that. Double-minded is, is not a nature, it's a condition. Don't you get that? Double-minded is not a nature. It's a condition. Do you know what I mean by that, preacher? Well, very simple. Double-minded is not a nature. In other words, I'm just double-minded. I can't help it. Now, your personality may be more indecisive than someone else's, but not double-minded. Double-minded try to be two things at once. You won't come down to firm decision. In your Christian walk, you will not stand out and out for God. You want to. You, 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 you can't stand the fact that if you're going to follow the way of God, there are some things that will be excluded. You won't take your cross. And so, this idea of being double-minded is not a nature. It's, it's a condition. And that's important to understand because even those who have 
have a fixed purpose in their life and have settled, they say, well, I've, I've settled this, you know, with God. Don't think that that is forever settled. Thank God we're forever saved. You know, the more you study about all the different things in the Bible, the more you understand if we were not saved by His grace, we couldn't be saved at all. Right. Right. <laughs> Some of you were in my Sunday school class and of course, uh, Carrie's been back here uh, in a couple of services, and and uh, her mom. I got so tickled in class today. It was it was a blessing to me when I asked the question of how many of us have felt one day that we're close to God, the next day it doesn't seem like you can find me. And you know, I go to my class like, yeah. And she just out just like this. She goes, "Why is that?" <laughs> and the way she said it, I, I just thought it was great. I really thought it was precious because it was like that's how we all feel. Why do I do that? And uh, this thing of this thing of uh, being double-minded is something that we can go into even if we have been settled and fixed in our mind before. I'm careful of what I allow to influence me greatly, because I understand my flesh has not ceased being flesh. There's no amount of experience or wisdom in the Scripture that makes me immune from being influenced by things which could. Decay, be detrimental. And I could pass those things on. I walk on eggshells about things. I just want to choose my companions and I want to choose my influences from that which is best. And that's a good thing to do. It moves you towards excellence. A double mind, a man's unstable in all his ways. He's going to be unstable in the way he, he conducts business. He's going to be unstable in his relationships. He's going to be unstable in his Christian walk. Why? Because he's double-minded. He says, well, I'll do this, and, and then I'll do this. It's not the idea of not being able to, to, to discern or decide about a particular thing. That's not it. There may be any number of things that might happen in life about which you'll look at, and you might say, well, I'm not sure. Man, that could be this way, or that could be this way. And I'm not sure, should I do this? You know, it, it, look, it, it, some of y'all, and, and you'll be in the housing market and stuff, and you're looking at something, well, I don't know for sure, should I buy it or not? You're not double-minded because you're trying to figure out what to do with something like that. That's not the concept of double-minded. That's just reaching decisions, trying to figure things out, wishing that you would, you would receive a, you know, a sign from, you know, drop down from the sky, and, and you're not going to, and if you do, please ignore that, because something really weird is going on. <laughs> But it is what it what what being double minded is, is is being split on who and what you are at the core. Am I bought by the blood of Christ? Am I in his possession? Do I love him because of his great sacrifice for me? Or do I think that my life belongs to me and I'll do with it whatever I will? Do I believe the Bible is God's word, or is it just something to consider as some work of wisdom like some other uh, or some one of man's books out there. God, I believe that God's real one day I'll stand before Him and give account for my life. Or do I just go through this life like an animal never standing before my Creator in whose image I'm made? Double-minded man comes to the very core of what we define and what, what we are. Double-minded man's unstable in all his ways. Then it goes in. It's interesting where it goes from that. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. Well, that one would seem pretty obvious. Well, that's pretty neat. However, when you realize there have been just as many people who have been taken off the track and damaged in their lives by success as have been by failure, if you realize that, then you realize we, like the apostle, need to learn how to abound and how to be abased. We need to know how to do both so we may do them well. 
And so it says, brother low degree, rejoice in that you're exalted. See, that goes back up to the thing of counting all joys when you fall into diverse temptations. There's a temptation to become lax. There's a temptation to put our trust in the things that we possess. There's a temptation uh, to get puffed up with pride if we are exalted. We have to be careful of these temptations. And then it goes into the next one. But the rich in that he is made low. You go through a downturn. You go through a setback. Thank God for that because it reminds you of whose hand you're in. And what's really important in life. (laughs) Thank God that the true riches in our life are not things that the hands of man can take away. But the rich and that he's made low and then it describes a little more because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. In other words, our time's but a little. For sun's no sooner risen with the burning heat but it withereth the grass, the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. Um, you ever receive cut flowers? Not live plants like we gave you today that you can plant and watch them grow. But cut flowers, and very pretty when you first get them. What happens to them after just a few days? Right, they, they end up wilting, don't they? Clue for you. If someone gives you those, they don't wilt. Those are called fake Okay, just just say it. But they will. That's that's what's talking about the grace of the fashion thereof perishes. Slow fading out of that which was so beautiful. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Not always will there be the same strength. And you have to understand that so that you can handle that properly. And then verse 12. Blessed is the man that does what with temptation? Endureth. A continual doing of right in this situation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. I wrote this statement down about that. The love is evidenced in the endurance. I don't care how strong of a marriage you have and how close the relationship may be within that marriage. It is not all, oh, we get to be together all the time. There are times you go through things, and I'm not saying, oh, what a burden, I've got this life, oh, burden, I've got this husband, but there are times you just endure. There's times it's not exciting. We mentioned in your testimony that your life has become a country song. <laughs> I love the jewels of culture and wisdom we get around it. But this fantasy idea that all moments of family life, all moments of marriage, all moments of relationships are this wonderful, happy, exciting, not be, and if it isn't there, then something's wrong. No, when it's not there, you may be under burden. When it's not there, you may be just dealing with some of the realities of life that are noble in and of themselves because you take care of them. 
And when you endure, when you do a steady continuance of that which is right, God himself has a crown of life. You say, what is that exactly? I really can't tell you. I can't really expound to you what all that is. But let me just put this into it. It's good. <laughs> that sounds good all the way around. Crown of life. It sounds like it has a lot of depth to it to me. Sounds like it has a lot of different things to it. That sounds like a crown with a lot of jewels in it. But look what it says there specifically about it. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried... He said, how do you know when you've endured temptation? You did not allow the temptation to separate you from your faith or turn you aside from following God. Remember, the purpose of the adversary is to take you off the path or stop you from finishing your course with joy. Blessed is the man that endureth temptations, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love Him. I believe that God Himself bestows that crown. I can't tell you all the timetable of it, but that's something really good. That'd be worth, worth having. What is the trial of our, our faith and the trials and faith going to What's the context of it? The context is this. That God has His eye on His people even when they're scattered which these were, that He wants us to respond to trials by trusting Him. And He wants us to understand that He will give us the wisdom we need day by day, not week by week, not month by month, but what we have in front of us. He'll give us that wisdom to learn how the day by day doing and following Him lays out in front of us. A lot of good truth in that passage. Let me pray with you. Father, thank You for Your words, the truth of your, of your Bible, the depth of it. Lord, may we be a people who will not satisfy for shallowness in our own lives. Bless please, folks, as they seek You tonight. In their heart, may they be honest with You about their fears, their doubts, their angers, their disappointments. God, may there be real transactions between this room and the throne of grace. Bless, please, tonight for your own honor, your own glory, please. Amen. Let's stand together, please. We don't have song of invitation tonight. I'm just going to ask you to come. Why don't you come? Something you need to bring before the Lord. And no music, no draw to it. You just come talk to the Lord about what you need to. And take your time. You talk very plainly. We're never to be disrespectful to the Lord, and I don't think it'd be in your heart to do that. But you can talk very plainly. And you need to learn to do that.